0: All right. Well, good evening. Second Sunday of 2020, where we're going to jump right into the middle of our vision and values series uh, for the year. Now, some of you might be wondering why we do this, because you probably hear the phrase "Gospel Family Mission" frequently, and that's what we value as a church. January to me is a perfect time to kind of revisit that. And for some of you, it's because you're fairly new to Sojourn, and I didn't expect you to know that about us and kind of what those really mean to us. For others of you, it's kind of like uh, a fisherman. We're kind of recasting our vision and recasting our our reel out there to see uh, what this year is going to look like for us. And so for us from day one, we have said, even when we gathered in a living room, just a few blocks from here, not the house I currently live in, but just a few blocks from here, we gathered in a living room, and we said we want to do things well. And for us as a church, that has meant we put our focus primarily on three things. We put our focus on the gospel, which we really looked at kind of in depth last week, and just the power of that message. And beyond anything else that we're ever going to do, It's going to be the gospel. And so there's other things that we can let go, and there's other things that meeting places and and how we do rhythms and all those things, but it's always going to be filtered through the gospel. And this week, uh, we're going to look at our second value, which is family, and really this idea of community. And then next week, we'll look at the uh, mission. And we actually have, aside from our baptism, we actually have a special special guest speaker next week, uh, Mike McCoy, who was here maybe six weeks ago and just spoke briefly uh, IMB missionary about to go to London is going to be preaching for us next week on, on mission. So make sure that you don't miss next week for really two reasons. One, it's our first baptism as a church, and we need to be there just to celebrate that. That's a huge thing, and, and be there for Melanie, who's getting baptized, and then also to be there to uh, support Mike and to hear about what God's about to do in their lives in London. And so as we look at family, I believe of our three values as a church, this is probably the most difficult one to talk about because this is probably the most difficult value to find, not only in our city, but also in our churches, any church, and I've heard some of you who've come from other churches, and you say, well, this is why, why I came to this church, and, and then maybe you get here, maybe you feel like you can't find it here as, as well, and then all over our city, I find all these people in this, this communal city that we live in who say, I can't find community, and this is the one value people seem to want the most but have the hardest time finding. Regardless of your story, Regardless of your background, regardless of your personality type or your Enneagram, deep down, we all want genuine, authentic community, and you cannot convince me otherwise. I don't care if you are more of an introvert. You guys know that I'm more of an extrovert, and so I kind of like throw my personality onto you and want to hang out and spend all this time together. But even you introverts in the room, and God has blessed us with a lot of introverts, and that's in his, his divine providence. But even the introverts, you can't convince me that you don't want community I watched one of those prison docu-series docu- on Netflix recently, and maybe you've watched it, or maybe you watched a prison movie, or, or you've seen where the worst form of punishment in a prison that can be imposed on a prisoner is solitary confinement. Why is this? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? I mean, if I'm surrounded by a bunch of other hardened criminals, now even if I was a hardened criminal and, and I had murdered someone myself, I'm, I'm around a bunch of other people who've also done this, I'm thinking like, put me over there by myself because they might be able to injure me and hurt me. But they tell us that solitary confinement is one of the worst forms of punishment because there's something deep down inside of us that just craves the human connection and human community. This is the reason that some of you started coming to Sojourn, and you feel like you found that community here, and we say praise God for that. Others of you, this might be the driving reason that you're addicted to social media. You're constantly trying to get more, more likes and more follows and you feel like when you see those, those little things bling up on your phone, whatever it happens to be, those notifications, it causes something to come alive in you, because you finally feel like, you know what, I am being noticed. We all want to be part of a family. The idea of being known and, and knowing others. And so when we say that we struggle to find community, what we're really saying is that we struggle to find friends, and we struggle with feeling known, and we struggle with this idea of loneliness. Let's be honest, this can be a really hard thing to confess. I mean, who wants to walk into the room and say, I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling like a loner, I feel like I don't have any friends. But I've heard this more in our city, and I've heard it from some of you more than perhaps anywhere else in my life. And so I think it's a mix in our context. I think it's one, it's where we're at in our modern day, because we all have our phones constantly and our tablets, and we, we feel connected, yet we're not connected. And I also feel like we're, we're in a place in a city where, where there is this communal idea, but there's, there's part of it that's true, and there's part of it that's really just like this facade. And so we're not actually experiencing this connectivity. I've heard this more among millennials and then Gen Z, the, the two most connected generations are the ones that are saying, we are lonely and we don't feel connected to other people. Now, don't mishear me. This doesn't mean that you don't have friends or you don't know people, but you don't feel known by others. And there's a key difference there. Even though we live in an urban environment, We are surrounded by people. Some of you don't feel known. We, in Concordia neighborhood, there's 12,000 people alone. So we have a lot of people around us. Yet somehow some of us can find ourselves, even in a city like this, with all these people saying, I just don't feel known. Regardless that you're surrounded by all these people on a daily basis, walking and biking by them. The first time I experienced this in my own life was when I moved to India. We moved to India, and if you know much about India, they are projected to surpass China, as the largest population in the world. So we found ourselves in a city surrounded by people. We had a neighborhood, thousands of people. We would go to the mall, thousands of people. I would go to these villages, always surrounded by people. And I looked different. I stuck out there. And so people were always following me and taking pictures of me and, and making me feel uncomfortable at times. I always had people around me. And yet I found myself suddenly feeling lonely for the first time in my life. I was 25 years old, first time I can ever really remember experiencing loneliness. And thinking, this is crazy. I am surrounded by people, but what it was was I didn't feel known. Yes, I knew people. I knew their names. I even would say I had some friends, but I didn't feel known by anyone. And this caused me great pain, and it put me into a slump for a couple of months. I called it my fifth-month slump, because I just remember like the high of moving there and that honeymoon phase, and like, this is a new life, and we live overseas, and this is what we've always dreamed of doing, and then we get there and we're living this out, and then all of a sudden it was just like. There's a roller coaster down and thinking, what am I doing? I'm not known by anybody, and I'm so lonely. And so I'd say we all value community. We all value a family of people to belong. But somehow, for some reason, we all seem to struggle to find community. And so I want us to turn tonight into the book of Philippians. And I want us to see what God has to say about a family, a community of people who are following him together and how we can cultivate that in our church and hopefully offer that to our city. And though I don't have the time to set up the entire book of Philippians, you know, this is why I like book studies. This is why I like when we're in Nehemiah because I know each week exactly where we're going to be and what verses we're going to go over. And with our vision and values, it's almost a little bit more topical as far as we're kind of just jumping in the middle of of books here. But um, I don't have time to set up the entire book of Philippians, but I do want to point out here that Paul had just been arrested and he's waiting to find out if he's gonna be executed. And what we're gonna see Paul doing in this passage is he's pleading with the Christians at Philippi to have Christ-exalting community, to live out this idea of family. And what we're gonna see is that we, what we all desperately want and need, but so often find a struggle, is right here in Philippians. So if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn there. The words will be on the screen next to me, and let me pray for us before we get into the scripture. God, we just wanna to come to you right now And simply say, we need you to show up and we need you to move. We need your Holy Spirit to be here with the power that only your Holy Spirit can bring. God, move me out of the way. Let these words of this scripture come alive to us. God, as you are uniting all things back to yourself, God, this is the family that you have called us to belong to. Lord, I ask that your spirit would convict where conviction needs to happen and that you would draw us closer to you and to one another. In your name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Stop right there. So Paul starts exactly where I want us to start tonight. He starts with Christ. Now, he does not necessarily doubt that encouragement is happening. He doesn't doubt that participation in the Spirit and affection and sympathy are realities For this church, rather, what Paul is doing here, he's using what is called a conditional if, as a way to kind of provoke reflection from the church at Philippi on their lives. So, in other words, this is more of like an assumption or like a reminder, like because you are doing these things, and and these are more statements that Paul is kind of declaring over them, saying because these things are true, now let me tell you what to do, and we will see that it's critical for the Philippians, and it's going to be critical for us to continually progress in our love for one another. That's part of this idea of family. And Paul continues in verse two. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So here we have Paul. You gotta remember, he's in prison when he's writing this. He's waiting a possible execution. And he says, the one thing that's gonna make me happy is the Philippian believers being of the same mind, Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do you see how important this idea of the church operating as family is to Paul by being of one mind? Now, if I'm honest, this is a little bit crazy to me. Once again, he's imprisoned, he may be getting executed soon, and he's saying this is the one thing that's going to make him have joy. I cannot say that tonight. If the Portland Police Department walked in here, now one you would all be wondering what did Matt do, but if they walked in here tonight and arrested me and dragged me out of here and put me in prison, and you guys are like, man, they're thinking about executing Matt. Like He must have done like, something horrendous, living this alternate life we didn't know about. That, that I, don't, I can't say that I would be writing you guys like, hey, do I get one text message, like a group text here, or can I update our Facebook community page? Like, I can't say that I would come to you and say, all right, guys, I'm getting executed this week. Portland Police Department found out like, what, what's going on here, but here, I want to I leave this earth, and this is what will make me happy. This will give me joy by you guys being of the same mind, Sojourn, of you guys being in full accord and being of one mind. My guess is you probably wouldn't say the same thing. You, you also would, would think, man, I'm, I'm thinking, like, my favorite meal. Let me see my family. Like, can I go watch the new Little Women movie that came out? Like, there's something else that I'd rather do that would bring me some level of joy prior to this. Now, the three statements Paul makes are essentially saying the exact same thing. He's just phrasing them differently which means he is stressing this point. He's saying, hello, do not miss this point. I'm saying it three different ways so that you'll pay attention to it. As parents, we do this with our kids oftentimes. You just kind of phrase it differently, kind of reiterating your point. So he's saying the same thing, saying don't miss this point that I'm making to you. And so let's imagine for a minute that you are Paul. You found yourself in prison, and you're allowed one group text, the Facebook page update, an Instagram story, Snapchat, whatever it is that you use today. What message do you send out to let your friends, your family, and your followers know will complete your joy. Why would being a united family and community to one another essentially be that thing for Paul? Like, why, why, is, why that thing? Why not something else? I mean, hopefully most of you sense how serious I am about this idea of family, about this this value that we have, but I'm definitely not on the, on the level that Paul is here. I'm not there yet. My guess is that none of us are quite there yet. So, So why would he stress this point so much. I believe the reason that this is the thing for Paul is because God's work in the world is not about only saving us individually. When you talk about this idea of salvation, a lot of times if you grew up in church, like you focus on yourself. Like, oh, I said the sinner's prayer. I remember that day. I've got a card or someone gave me a Bible and it's still on my shelf and it's just about me getting saved. But it's not so much about saving us individually, but it's also about saving us back to one another, to a community of people, and I believe that's why Paul is stressing that. I like how Dietrich Bonhoeffer described this. He says, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God and Christ in which we may participate. So we enter into that life together with other Christians, not as those who make demands, but as those who thankfully receive. We do not complain about what God does not give us. Rather, we are thankful for what God does give us daily. And so, to set this up, we really have to go back to a core doctrinal belief—not in great detail—but th- this idea that before there was anything, God was a community within Himself, and He's internally existed with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Scripture tells us that before all things began, there was only God, and then there was the—they the, the, re- reveal this one thing as God as being a social being instead of a solitary being. That we just celebrated Christmas. So sometimes people think like that's when Jesus arrived onto the scene. Like that's when He arrived onto our scene and into earth, but like Jesus has eternally always existed. And so we see that the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they form a community. They form the first community. God is not a lonely being who learned how to love and relate through the creation of the world. Rather, God has always been experiencing in himself the love and the service, communication and unity and joy throughout all eternity. I think sometimes we can can think more highly of ourselves than we should. We probably do that daily, but we think, man, like God created us because he needed us. God must have been lonely that wasn't it at all. God already had a community within himself. And Genesis tells us this communal God created us in his image and likeness. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, the image of God He created him male and female, he created them. And so we learn that God's image cannot be represented by a single individual living in isolation. I'm going to kind of take a side tangent just real quick. When you think of this idea of church, you know, a lot of people today are leaving the church. They say, man, it's just me and God. Like, like we got this. Like, this is my church. I'm going to go ride my motorcycle. This is my church. I'm going to go rock climbing or I'm going to go mountain biking, all these things. Like, no, that is not how we see God's image represented. But we see it represented by a diversity of men and women living together in a community as a family. In fact, we see in Genesis 2.18, the only thing in all of God's creation that wasn't good was the fact that man was alone. Have you ever thought about that? The God of the world, here it is, this creation. And he says, it's perfect. Everything's perfect. I know it's hard for us to imagine because our world's not perfect now. But it's perfect. And he said, the only thing that, that, that's not good is that man was alone. So God created Eve to complete his intended design, all the way back in Genesis. And to be fully, fully human means to live in loving relationships. This is exactly what we had in the beginning, a sin-free world marked by an unhindered relationship with God and one another. But as we all know, it didn't stay that way for very long. As we follow the story in Genesis, we see how the first two humans, mirroring us all, eventually decided to live life on their own terms, apart from God, rejecting that community with God. As we look throughout history, it won't take you a lot of digging to look throughout and see all the ramifications of this act of this first man and woman. Think about every generation. Some of you are maybe history nerds and some of you aren't, but just think about every generation, every race, every continent has suffered from the actions rooted in humanity's attempt to live as interdependent beings. And so it makes sense why in every sociological segment of society, in every social status, you would be hard-pressed to find someone who hasn't been cut with the shrapnel of familiar brokenness. I don't know all of your, your deep stories in here, but some of you have experienced that familiar brokenness. Some of you come from broken families, and we want to be sensitive to that. And that's why I think about this idea of church, that it's still messy people. Like, we come in broken, every single one of us, but that God is uniting us to himself and that he can heal all. And that we crave and long for community, a family to belong, because you were created in the nature of the divine. If you ever wonder, like, why do I crave this community? Like, why do I feel lonely? And why, what is it that will fix it? And why is it that I crave this? Like, why can't I fix it through eating pine state biscuits every day? Like, that does fix it for me for about an hour and a half, if I'm honest. Like, if I'm lonely and I go eat some good pine state biscuits, I'm good. Or, and then after that, if I'm going to spend a little bit more money, I'll go to salt and straw. You know, and so, like, and then maybe a coffee shop. Like, I can fix it temporarily. And you guys may have your own fix. Some of you may be working out. That's obviously not mine. Um, For some of you, it might be music or reading or something else. But why is it that it only fixes temporarily? Because you were creating the nature of the divine, And you're created to be in this community. And what Paul is doing is he's bringing us back to the very beginning. The fabric and DNA of what we were created for in the image of the divine. Now the church he's writing here in this context. we always got to keep the context that he's actually writing to in mind. Has a significant opportunity to return to its roots by being called back to this reality. So in a sense that's what he's doing. He's saying because you are doing these things I want to remind you and call you back to this reality that you have already in Christ Jesus there's not something you need to do for it you don't need to work for it but it's already yours in Christ and realizing the church is who we are in Jesus and that there's only one in the world that this one family is made up of people scattered throughout the world and he invites us not only into another way of being but into the telling of a whole new story altogether have you ever thought about that like if you've traveled the world at all like, our brothers and sisters in Christ, I love this idea of the universal church. I mean, I've been in Argentina, and I've been in India, and I've been in Nepal, and all over different places in the U.S. It's like, man, like, you can connect with other Christ followers, and there's just like, you can almost let your guard down just a little bit more. Like, there's a level of trust here. Like, hey, I'm going to go into your house, especially in India. I mean, I'm just walking into your house. I have no idea who you are. I'm assuming you're going to feed me, and that you're going to give me some really good chai tea, and that you're just going to take care of me. And in the same way, I mean, we've had people even just recently at, at my house I got called up um, by a guy named Wes Hughes, some of you know Wes, and said, hey, I don't really know the details, but there's three students who are coming back actually from India, can they sleep at your house? And I'm like, uh, let me double check with my wife, that's always a good idea, husbands, check with your wife before you agree to let strangers sleep in your house, but it's like, there's just kind of something like, okay, like, they're Christfall. fault, like, yeah, let, let's, let's do this. And the driving reason that you need community is not so that you have friends. Now, some of you might think that, well, I need friends, like, that's why I need community. But it's not, that's not the driving reason. And it's, and it's not so that you're not lonely on a Friday night. But the driving motivation behind community is that we somehow mirror the goodness and the image of the triune God. So yes, like friends are a byproduct of that. Like Friends are great. And not being lonely on a Friday or Saturday night, that's great as well. Like, that's a byproduct. But the driving motivation is that we mirror the goodness and the image of the triune God who we worship. And so at Sojourn, we have developed three practical experiences for you to cultivate community and to join in the family rhythms at our church. The first is our Sunday gatherings, what we're doing right now. We sing, we pray, we fellowship, we hear the word, we participate in communion, and we exalt Jesus. Almost every week, people either go out to eat together or come to my house, especially in the summertime. This is something that we should all celebrate And it's not because it's my house, it's just because we host a lot of stuff. Over 150 different individuals came through my backyard this summer as a result of connecting with our church. Now, there were some of those who were outside teams from places like Beaumont, Texas, but others were the neighbors and your friends and people who were coming and interacting with us. And so that's something we should celebrate. And so that's our first experience. And I've heard it described this way. The church is not a place we go to on Sunday, but it is a people. Even more precise, the church is a family all throughout Scripture, God uses familiar language to describe his relationship with his people and the relationship we have with one another in the church. Our second experience is what we call our gospel community. An informal gathering in a home where we share a meal, we get a chance to live out our values, and we share what is going on in our lives. And hopefully those will always be diverse and they'll be made up of all ages and races and socioeconomic statuses. You know, As we grow, one of the goals is to multiply those groups, and some of you will probably come to me and say, man, can we do, can we do like, a, like a 20-somethings group, and can we do like a 30-somethings group, and can we do this? I'm going to say, no, as long as I have any part of that decision, because that is not family. I mean, look at my family. I have a four-year-old in my family, and I have a 39-year-old. I'm not going to tell you who the 39-year-old is, but you all know who the four-year-old is, and so family that we're intermixed of all ages and all races and all socioeconomic statuses. Tim Chester, he says, many people Listen to this. Tim Chester says, Many people love the idea of the church as family. But when we eat together, we encounter not some theoretical family, but real people with all of their problems and quirks. Mm. The meal table is an opportunity to give up our proud ideals by which we judge others and accept in their place the real family created by the cross of Christ with all its brokenness. Man, I love that quote. The third experience that we have is tables. Now, this is one of our newer experiences for us. And the idea behind tables is where we grow closer to God and one another, and where we hope this builds into naturally, organically formed friendships. And part of the reason we do tables, you might be asking us why, Well, we learned at least the way the, the people that God has brought to this church, that if you get more than, than six or eight people in a room, like, people all of a sudden just don't open up at all. Like, if it's two or three, like, people get really open. But you get six to eight, and it's like we stay real superficial, and kind of, look, what's happening with the weather and football and all that stuff? And so we kind of create this smaller environment for that. And so I want to say this, the reason we mention those, and most of you are familiar with those, is our leadership has done our job, and will continue to do our job, of setting up the connecting point for you to go deeper. But you have to take the opportunity and run with it. You know, I've teed up the ball, and now you have to hit it, if you're a sports person. You might say, what does that mean? I don't, you don't even understand. But the point is, we have set up these experiences for you, we've handed you the platform, now you have to run with it. And I will say this, I cannot do this for you you will have to put in the hard work of forming relationships and making friends at times with those who may not be anything like you. You may have nothing in common. You may have very different backgrounds. You may have a lot of money, and they may have no money. They may be from a different country. They may be from a different race. But that God has called you into community. And it's in these relationships where you have to make the choice to be vulnerable, to be honest, and become known. I can't do it for you. You're going to have to do it. And Paul promises us this will be easy, right? He says, man, this is a piece of cake. I'm going to walk in on a Thursday night. I'm going to walk into my table. It's going to be easy. No, we know that it will be messy. But Paul does tell us how about to go about these relationships. Look at verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now why would Paul tell them to do this? What is is Paul getting at here? I believe Paul is addressing their heart. I believe Paul is addressing our heart. Paul is diagnosing the propensity of our hearts that when we walk through these doors on a Sunday night, all of a sudden we become the most important person in the room. Think about your own life. You walk in, all of a sudden it's like, man, I I want to make sure I get the tea that I want and I want this cup for my coffee, and I want the pastry that's got the most chocolate on it, or I want this size. Like, right, we walk into a room like this, and Paul's addressing our heart and saying, we have a propensity to want to say that we're the most important person in the room when we get in there. And Paul knew for them, and Paul knew for us that we live in a culture, we live in a society that says, you got to look out for yourself and to get whatever it is that you want. And what Paul is saying is, it's time to stop. Stop doing that. He's saying sin dwells within us, and it causes selfishness, and it causes dysfunction. A few months ago, we had a professional videographer in here, and he did a phenomenal job, by the way, and and he was doing some video clips for us for for social media and for our website, and and then for just pictures that we could could update our website, because it had been a while, and we were using a lot of stock photos, because that's what you do when you're a church plant, and you don't have a lot of money. And so this individual came in, did, did these videos, and you might be thinking, well, How come I didn't get to look at the pictures before they got put on the website? Here's why. If we had sat down at a table and I said, here's all the pictures that we got, I know exactly what every single one of you in here would have done, because I would have done it and I know that you would have done it too. You would have been looking for all the pictures that have you in it, and then you would have been like, based on how you look in that picture, you would have said like, that's a really good picture, it should go on the website, or no, no, like we shouldn't put it on the website. You wouldn't care if everybody else looked great in it. So you might be like, my hair looks funny there, no, we don't need to use that one, or like, oh, I have my new sweater on, like, yeah, we need to use that one, Looks really, really cool. And so I know exactly how you would have decided that. And we're in this, this culture today, I mean, it's been around now for quite a while, but we're, where we, t- we so flippantly take pictures on our phones. And there's this, this whole phenomenon around this idea of, uh, of taking a selfie. I know, like, the new iPhone even has, like, a, sl- a Slofi or something like that. it It's just like a slow-motion selfie. I saw a commercial this afternoon and just kind of laughed at it. It looked funny. But the mere idea of a selfie reveals how selfish and conceited we are with self. By the way, just a word of good advice. This isn't from the Bible, but if you're the type of person that's posting selfies all the time on social media, please stop. Like, do it on occasion, sure. Update your profile picture, but some people I know just, literally, I know someone who does it every single day, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, I hope someone is discipling you. Because it is ingrained into our culture to look out for self. We are number one, or numero uno, and nobody else is going to look out for us, so we have to put ourselves in front of every single person. But this attitude especially in the church, can prove to be detrimental when we're supposed to look out not only to our own interest, but we're also supposed to look to the interest of others. And what Paul is doing here is he's helping diagnose the human heart, the disease that we call sin that leads to selfishness. If you ever wonder, like, why am I so selfish? Why, why is it that I, I gravitate towards that? Because we all have this thing called sin. That's why every single one of us looks out just for ourselves. And so let me ask you this. Why is it, we always think of everyone else needs to change in order to make things better. You ever think about that? Like, man, somebody else needs to change. Why is it as I'm talking this evening, some of you are thinking of others that need to hear this message. you think, man, they weren't here tonight, they really needed to hear it. Or, man, I wish this person had been here tonight and that they need to hear it instead of yourself. Why is it that you're thinking that way? It's because Paul has actually identified our disease called sin. Trust me. This message is for every single one of you, just as much as it is for the person next to you, as much as it is for your spouse or whoever it is that you might have in mind right now. And you might wish that certain people would would, um, maybe treat you in a different way or maybe ask you better questions, but have you ever realized that you don't do the very thing you desire for others to do to you? That's what our selfishness will do to us. Man, we desire people to be this way, and man, I really wish people asked me these questions and do things this way, but are you being that to those other people like like hello. Sometimes it starts with you, but no, you're looking out to your own interest only. In 2020, we are connected to more people than ever, yet people feel more isolated than ever from others. And it's all about us, right? I got my Netflix, I got my Hulu. I think someone in my house has a Disney Plus account, so I can watch what I want when I want, as long as the TV's free. Then I can pull up my tablet. Once again, I can choose the format: is it my phone? Is it my tablet? Is it my 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 TV? Spotify, Apple Radio, I can listen to the music I want when I want. Who's that radio station think they are telling me what song I'm going to listen to when I want to listen to it? Podcast, there's no need for radio talk show hosts anymore. I choose what content I want, and, and I get to choose when I listen to it. It's not, no longer like sports radio at, at 6.30 in the morning. It's like, man, I'll listen to it at, at noon if I want to. Social media, we can talk a lot, and we can choose not to listen. Oh, God help us, we're in, a, we're in an election year, and a lot of us are going to see people out there talking all over social media, and they're going to probably choose not to necessarily engage. And sociologists have pointed out to all of these things and described much of the first 20 years of the 2000s. Isn't that crazy? We're 20 years into 2000s. And they've described this as fractured. That's the word that they used. And this has caused our society to be fractured. So when I think about a fractured society, a fractured group of people, of course we struggle with community. Of course we struggle with isolation. Every single person you're interacting with carries the same disease, including you. And so I want to say to you as sojourn. As a church, we have the opportunity to tell a different story. It doesn't just come with you not having your phone out all the time, although that's probably a really good place to start, <laughs> but it starts with us collectively looking to Jesus. This should be the relational culture that we strive to have in our faith family. What this means practically is that we should not only be concerned with our own finances, we shouldn't only be concerned with our own property, our health and wealth, our success and happiness, but we should also be concerned about those things in other people. In other words, make the good of others as high of a priority as your own well-being, which admittedly isn't easy. It's easy to look out for ourselves and it's easy to sometimes look out for our family, but not necessarily those beyond that. And Paul goes on in verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so our minds are to be a reflection of a life lived, for the exaltation of Christ alone. To be clear, this is not something we can do in our own strength. This isn't something that we just wake up and try harder and, and man, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make sure that I like, double down on my Bible reading plan and, and I'm gonna make sure I go to Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday morning prayer. Like This isn't something we can do on our own, but it's by having the mind of Christ and the spirit of God working it out in us. Jesus is the chief supreme example of the one who considers himself not as important as others. The one person who has the right to l- rights lays them down to the point of death on a cross now we think we have the right but we don't and the one person that did laid down their rights to the point of death and Jesus is more than our example he's also our savior and when he dies in your place and you believe you're saved from your sins but you're also saved into a family and you bear the image of the one that you were meant to bear and so as I was studying for this and as I've I've read tons of books on this idea of church's family now, some people would just say community. I have, I've, I've got like a whole growing section and some of something I haven't read. And I just love this idea as I read it more and more. And I'll be honest, it's really hard for us in our Western society to think through this because we live in a very individualistic society. I think this is much easier to, for people to get in, in other cultures. Like when we lived in India, it was like, you would just add another level, another room into your house whenever you would add another family member. Like we would, they would do that. So it's very hard for us. But I see there's four values in the New Testament when you think about this idea of church as family. The first is that we share our stuff with one another. This could be like something like your skills. Maybe you have a skill that someone else in the church doesn't have. You say, man, I'm going to share that with you and help you out with that. This could be monetary. This could be the church or it could be individually. As a church, something else to celebrate. Last year, we gave away probably 1000 to $2,000 in kind of a benevolence fund for people inside of our church body. People said, you know what, I don't have the money to pay my bills. And as a church, we said, here, we're going we're to write a check and we're just going to bless you. And so if you're in here and you find yourself struggling, like, you got to let us know, because if we don't know, then we can't do it. But these people let us know, and so we we're able to help them out, thankfully. You guys, as a church, you blessed my family with an Amazon gift card at Christmas. And so let me say thank you, in, in case in case I haven't said it previously. I think I, I think I said thank you to everyone, but thank you. When Crystal came to me, I thought it was a Christmas card. and Then I opened it, and it was a Christmas card, but I was surprised with this Amazon gift card. So thank you, guys. That's just an example. We share our homes. We do this through things like gospel community, but then we also just have a space to host. Like we're trying to buy a house by the end of this year be praying for that. And I'm I'm hoping there's some areas I'm like, I'm okay if that's small, but I want a huge dining room. Like, I want my dining room to be as long as this room, so I can have a table with like 30 30 people or more. Because I love this idea. Like, I hate that my table only fits six people and we can squeeze in maybe eight. And and this just gives us an opportunity as we share our lives together that we can strengthen our relationships. Our second thing that you see in the New Testament for family is we share our hearts with one another. This one's a lot harder for us, if we're honest. It's one thing to help someone move a piano, help, help maybe some, somebody move a piece of furniture, but it's quite another to open up your life and your heart and to pour it out to somebody. This is part of the reason, once again, that we created tables, to provide a pathway where you can feel like I can open up to this individual. Now, you might be thinking, I've never even opened up to my biological family. <laughs> like, like, that's hard enough. Maybe you come from a family that's like, you pretend everything's okay, and so you don't really talk about issues that are actually happening. So you might say, man, I've never even opened up to my biological family. How am I going to do this with my church family? Well, just because you've never done it doesn't mean you, you can't start now. But there's a time to start that you can get vulnerable and you can open up in these relationships. It takes time. The third thing is we stay, we embrace the pain, and we grow up with one another. Family is hard. Conflict happens. Family is full of messy people. But you know what? We do not grow up by running from family to family when things get hard. Elliot, probably at least in the last month, has threatened, I want to say twice, that he wished he had a different family. (laughs) Because there was something that upset him. And he said, "I I want a different family. I wish I didn't have brothers. I wish I was an only kid. Like, we all did that. And so, but that's not how we grow up. We don't grow up from running from family to family. We don't grow up within a church and running to church to church. So you know what? This church made me mad because they didn't do this. I'm gonna go over here because this one's got this. But they've got that, but they don't have this. And now I'm gonna hop over here and they don't have this. That's not how we grow up. We don't abandon the mess. We embrace the mess. And these are the tools of sanctification in your life. Have you ever thought, man, I didn't just choose this church, but God placed me in this church? You ever thought of that? And you might say, but God, I don't necessarily like this church. God might say, I don't care. (laughs) These are the people that I want you around. You might say, but we're not the coolest church in Portland. We probably never will be. But we're not the hippest church. We probably never will be. We're not the biggest church. Definitely not and probably never will be. And we don't just have the things that you all want, but God has placed you in this community, in this family for a reason. Have you thought about that? Family is not marked by the absence of conflict, but how they handle conflict when it happens. And the fourth thing we see on the New Testament value of family his family is about more than me, my spouse, and the kids. It's easy to think that our decisions don't affect others. Like we just kind of make them in a vacuum. But you've heard the idea that it takes a village to raise a kid. I'm going to say it takes a church to raise a kid. Now, I know in our church family, it's, it's, my family's the only one with, with kids right now. But the reality is, I need your help. Andrea needs your help. We need your help to help raise these children because we have our, our own blinders. And you know what? Some of you go back to those skills. You have skills that I don't have that would be great for my sons to learn. We need each other speaking to our marriages. Some of you have been married for a year, maybe a year and a half. Some of us have been married for almost thirteen. Some of us have been married twenty. You know, it's like we need to speak into each other's marriages and say, "Man, hey, you're like." Sometimes it might just be like a kick in the pants, like "Bro, you're wrong here, and you need to get your act together." But other times, it's just saying like, "What's going on? How can we help you here? How, how are you dealing with your finances? How are you how are you leading your spouse in this? How are you handling these these struggles?" And I love the beauty of a church of having all stages of life mixed together. Many of us don't have biological family in town, so it makes things like the holidays hard. But as we get to closer people in our church, we become family again. We celebrate those holidays with one another. And then even down to how we make decisions, making decisions in community. So if you're single in here, we might want to speak into who you marry and how you marry. You might think, whoa, I didn't sign up for that. But I think if you're in true biblical community, you would want our input because we love you and we care for you. And we don't want to see you marry a jerk. Where you work, you might say, hey man, I'm outweighing my options. Like there's this job over here, and there's this job. I'm like we can speak into that. The homes that we buy, how we parent, how we how we do all of these things in life. And Jesus modeled this for us, even to the point of death on a cross. And you think about how does this happen? You're like, man, Matt, like all oh, this sounds really good, but how does it functionally play out? It happens by the Spirit of God working it out within us, and it doesn't happen overnight. I think sometimes we hear the ideals, and we think like, man, here it is. This is what he's describing for family. But somehow we fell short, and we came here. Or maybe in 2019, it was here, and now we're somewhere in between. You're like, but we're not here yet. Like, hello, we're broken people in these broken relationships. It takes time. You crawl before you walk, and we are a baby church. So right now we're crawling, and we're probably in pull-ups. And it wasn't easy for Jesus, and it won't be easy for us. Think about Jesus' followers. He had a ragtag group of individuals who followed him, and I think we like to romanticize them. Man, they followed him closely, but they also lacked loyalty. Like, how many times did, did they not follow him, and did they turn their back on him and not follow through on these things? And so we as a church in 2020 want to continue to grow in these as a community. And a quick glance at the New Testament shows how the finished work of Jesus brings shape to our identity and also to how we walk this out as a new family. And so by the Spirit of God, I'm just going to lift these out real quickly. If you want me to send these to you in a text, I can do that later. But we love one another. We show family affection to one another. We outdo one another in showing honor. We accept one another. We serve one another through love. We carry out one another's burdens. We're kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. We encourage one another. We confess our sins to one another, and we pray for one another. We're hospitable to one another, and we clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Paul wraps up for us starting in verse nine, by saying, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see this phrase here, Jesus Christ is Lord, and it's pointing to him being fully divine. But as we see in this passage, Christ still chooses not to give the ultimate glory to himself, but he directs it to God the Father, which is his purpose throughout his time on earth. And so the good news, the value that we looked at last week in the gospel is that Jesus not only died, but he raised from the dead, and the same power that raised him exists in you and me, and it allows us to stop living lives focused on ourselves and only on our own needs. that's through that same power, which is why we start with the gospel, it's going to allow us to come in to this idea of family and that it be holistic. And Jesus actually enables us as a church family to fulfill the difficult call to biblical community, and so three questions to think about as we wrap up. The first question: Are you committed to seeing this type of community at Sojourn? Some of you need to make a decision that you're going to fully commit to this family, through the good and through the bad. Some of you, you covenant it with us, and the question is: Are you going to commit to do what you covenanted to do with this family? Are you going to fight for our family even when it is difficult? And are you going to uplift the family that God is forming? The second question, are the reasons you desire community biblical? We all desire it, but are they biblical? Are they healthy? I'm not saying wanting friends is wrong. We all want friends, and I could use a few more myself, so feel free if you want to become my friend and you're not friends with me yet. But they are terrible foundational motivations. We must remember, it's not about you, it's not about me, but it's about us collectively being image bearers and reflecting King Jesus to the world around us. think as we start to reflect King Jesus The neighborhood around us is going to recognize that. All of a sudden, they're going to want to press into that. They're going to say, I don't know what's happening at that group at that stamp building, but man, there's something about that that I need. And my third question is, are you willing to do the hard work of developing community and church as family? I'll be real. This doesn't organically happen. If it did, then our community would probably be a lot larger, and and we wouldn't experience any, any mess at all. But let me encourage you to stop waiting and initiate it. Initiate the relationships that you desire, even if it doesn't benefit you. Maybe you can be to someone else what you desire someone else to be to you. You might say, man, I really need someone like this in my life. Start out by being that person to somebody else. Because the gospel says we look to others' interests before we look to our own. John 15, he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. Jesus knew he was going to the cross soon. and He wanted to see us transform from enemies to his friends. And so one final word for us to actually implement this. It's going to be costly. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost me. It's going to cost our community. It is not going to be easy. But it's through Jesus that this true community of family as church can be found. But it's going to cost you something to obtain it. And so if you're thinking like, man, I, don't, I really don't want to think about others. I'd rather think about myself. I really, I really don't want to sacrifice for the community. Then just like I said last week with the gospel, then this may not be the church for you because this is the community that we're desiring to see as God unites us all back to himself. But it has to, has to start with us saying, man, I want to look out to the interest of others and even the group before I look out to my own interest. And let me, let me, let me help us out here. You might say, man, it's really scary to be vulnerable to people. I agree 100% because we're all afraid that we're going to be judged. Pastors are afraid they're going to be judged just as much as you guys. But there's no reason at Sojourn to pretend that you have your life together. You know why? We all know that you don't have your life together. I don't have my life together, and you don't have your life together. But by faith in the finished work of Jesus, the church was and is today the one community Where it's okay to be broken, it's okay to be weak, it's okay to doubt, it's okay to be discouraged, be angry. You can be depressed, you can hurt, and you can... Because we all stand in the holiness of Jesus and say it's all about Jesus. So it's okay that we deal with the crap of life. And in Him, we are free to confess our frailty. We're free to leave the exhausting madness of trying to hide the junk of our lives. That's what most of us do. We have a lot of junk in our trunk. We're trying to hide the junk of our lives. We're free to leave that because this is family. In this family, we're free to get out of our seats, we're free to join others in their joyous celebrations, and we're free to join them as they cry through their pains. We are free to encourage, and we are free to receive encouragement. We're free to share our belongings, and we're free to receive belongings when we're the ones in tough times. And we are free here to know and to be known. We're needy and needed. May the city of Portland and our world hear about this freedom in the context of a family. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to finish by responding to King Jesus tonight. God, we need you, just as we prayed at the beginning. God, we value family. We value living out what we see Paul declaring over the Philippian church here. But we also recognize we can't do it on our own. God, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to open up with one another. It's hard to care for one another. It's much easier to take care of our own needs. And so, God, we ask that this wouldn't be by work of our flesh, but, God, that it would be by work of your Spirit, that your Spirit would stir this up in each of us. And, God, that you would unite us ultimately to you, but, God, that you would unite us to one another as well. God, that we would fight for this biblical community that we see that you have given us. Lord, we can find community in other places, but we can never find this type of community. And so God, that, that may the world around us, may the city around us see what they are lacking and all the other forms of the community they can find when they look to the church, your church. In your name we pray, amen. So, we're going to respond. And, and one way I want us to respond tonight, at least to put it out there, and some of us maybe do this, but we don't really state it that often at Sojourn, is some of us may need to respond by repenting tonight. As a church, we're in the middle of filling some of these fractures that our society kind of spews on us in a way. But I'll tell you what's oftentimes missing from a picture when I see a fracture, whether it's a marriage whether it's a family, whether it's a church family. And as I meet with people and counsel people, what oftentimes what I see is missing is repentance. And then I think, man, I take a step back, is it any wonder that, that you're in this shape or that we're in this shape and that you're feeling this way? There's been something that's lacking over here. We see the fracture and then it, it just continues to crumble. But when repentance comes back into the situation, what I believe we see and experience is the authentic Holy Spirit power again, that the Holy Spirit shows up. So some of us may need to repent tonight before we do any other form of response. And I apologize for maybe neglecting that on some other weeks when we should have maybe done that. I think we easily just roll into singing songs and maybe we'll raise hands and and taking communion just because it's what we do. But some of us need to get our hearts right before we respond in any other way. And so, yes, we're not in a traditional church building, although some people think it kind of looks like a church building. And not that the building even matters. But if you need to repent, I'm going to say you can do it a number of ways. One, the altar is open. We have space here. Jacob leads music over there. There's a carpet here. There's floor space here. So the altar is open if you feel like you want to come up here. You may say, wow, that freaks me out. Stay in your chair. You have the freedom to sit right there in your chair and to repent. You have freedom to go into the back. You have freedom to grab one another. This is a family. If you say, man, I need to talk or I need to pray, like you have that freedom during this time. And then we'll move into songs of worship. We'll have Jacob come back up. He'll lead us out in some songs of praise. And then we'll respond by giving. Just as we're reminded that we give generously because everything we have been given belongs to God. I talked to one of our, our supporters of Sojourn Church today, pretty, pretty generous one actually, and makes, he makes a lot of money. And he just said, I just look at it as God's entrusted me with this money. He goes, it's not my money, it's God's money. And just I, I'm entrusted to, you know, how he wants me to how he wants me to spend it. And part of that is, is helping Sojourn. So we, we're reminded of that and then we respond to communion. I am more convinced this week than ever before that we need communion as a church. Some of us, maybe all of us, have forgotten what the Lord has done over this last week. We talk about this idea we leave the room or we leave the building, and then it's like we forget. Some of us quickly, some of us it's somewhere in the middle of the week. So if you are in Christ before you partake, take this time to do a few things. First, remember what the Lord has done. Remember what it is that the The bread and the wine represent his body broken and his blood that was shed. It's not just a snack for us. It's not just some gluten-free bread and some wine or juice. But remember what the Lord has done. Examine your own heart and life. Repent where needed. Believe it again. Ask God to redeem and to restore you as only He can do. And commit to what Jesus did. And so, sojourn. The time is yours. The table is open. Jacob's going to come back up and lead us in song. Prayer is available. Respond accordingly.